Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Soterios Johnson. Today, we're talking with Jackie Gifford, editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure, about the unique hotel culture in Los Angeles County. L.A. locals absolutely love dining, relaxing, and hanging out at their neighborhood hotels, including celebrities. We walked in, and I'm like, oh, there's Mary-Kate Olsen. Oh, there she is, hanging out. Oh, there's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, so it's like that kind of a place, which is why it's so special. And, yeah, it's an icon. We'll also go on a family learning adventure road trip through the Bay Area and Monterey. That museum is just amazing. And I think especially for me to bring my two young daughters, uh, they were able to build a robot while they were there, which was super amazing. And we'll head north to the beautiful mountain town of McLeod. It's all coming up on California Now. My next guest is Jackie Gifford, editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure. She runs the biggest monthly travel magazine in the United States with an audience of 6.7 million readers. What's more, Travel and Leisure has a social media following north of 14 million. That's a lot of people planning their next vacation. One subject that's been on Jackie's radar, the luxury hotel scene in Los Angeles. Recently, a TNL writer noted that the bars and lobbies, dining rooms and pool sides function as main drags in town squares. And we want to talk about that trend. So welcome back to California Now, Jackie. Thank you. So, you know, earlier this year, Travel and Leisure published a a feature about some Los Angeles hotels that draw in both locals and visitors and encourage them to to stick around. Is is this a uniquely L.A. phenomenon? I think it is. L.A. seems to have this, this sort of groundswell of amazing places to stay. And I think... It's one of the most special places for hotels in the entire country. Well, first of all, you've got places that have a real history to them, you know, whether you're talking about the Beverly Wilshire or the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Beverly Hilton. These are places that actually, you know, have been around for for decades, number one. And number two, you know, you have to think about just the way that people drive everywhere in L.A. and navigate and sort of the the fabric of the city is built around entertainment and, and you know, an industry and that for whatever reason, their hotels kind of became these these social hubs and they're where regular people like to go get a drink. And and sure, when you're you're sitting there, even as a tourist at, you know, the Beverly Hills Hotel at the at the Polo Lounge, you might see a celebrity sitting at the table next to you doing a business meeting. So I think what's really interesting about L.A. and and why it's so it's so fun as a visitor when you go there, you're you're sort of just you're sort of soaking in this glamour, this history, and the hotels are really there. There's nothing else like them. So where exactly is this happening? Is it happening all over Los Angeles County, or is it concentrated in one area? I think it's all. I think it's in some certain areas. I think you've got you know obviously you've got Beverly Hills, you've got West Hollywood, and certainly in Santa Monica too. There's some amazing properties there. You know, like Shutters on the Beach, and um, I think. I think really when you when you think about LA and just how big it is, right? You've got so many unique properties that offer something completely different. And when locals are going out and doing their lunches and their dinners and they tend to go they tend to go to hotels. So again, as your was as your visitor in the city, you are obviously staying in these places and then you're just you just feel like you're part of the scene and I think that's why it's really special it's not necessarily like that in New York or Miami or even Chicago like it's sort of 
it's not it's not done. It's not done for locals to go and just sit at the bar at 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 a hotel. Um, they might go to a, a neighborhood bar, but they wouldn't actively choose a hotel. And I think that's what's really interesting about LA. It's just different, and that and that's what makes it so special. Yeah, I mean, being the editor in chief of a travel magazine, I imagine you've given this some thought. What about a hotel can inspire you to stick around and, and soak up your surroundings? Well, I think it's the service. It's the people, the people who work there. You know, there's a there's a level of hospitality, of warmth, of welcome, of sophistication that that comes with a hotel, right? It's like people who believe in in service and service culture and welcoming people into the hotel as if it was their home. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen at restaurants, but it, I don't think it happens on the same scale that it does at a hotel just by virtue of a hotel size and the employees and how many people are working there. And if a hotel is doing things right, whether it's at the front desk or the concierge who's been there for years or the bartender who knows your name when you walk in the front door, if they're doing things right and they're firing on all cylinders, you know, it creates this atmosphere and this sense of place that is really hard to replicate. And in LA, you've got some really great places. You know, I, I recently stayed at the the Viceroy L'Hermitage in Beverly Hills, and it was just the most amazing experience because I found, you know, the rooms were quite spacious. They're huge. I was there with my family and I felt like we all had a place to to spread out. But, you know, down at the restaurant, it was amazing because you know, they would they would make sure that my son had special food. They just they intuited right away that we, you know, we were there as a family, we had different needs, and it felt very residential. It didn't feel quite like a corporate hotel. It was just this really beautiful place to stay. And I immediately felt at home. That's great. I mean, that's what you want. You want to feel welcomed. You want to feel like this is a place I can just relax and, you know, be. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. So um, in terms of etiquette, is it okay to just hang out in a fancy hotel lobby or do you need to, should you buy something when you're there? I think you have to buy something. You don't have to, you know, you're not, you don't have to order a bottle of Dom Perignon or something like that. You could get, you know, you could get like a tea or a Diet Coke. and But I think it's kind of the right thing to do, especially as you know, hotels are really beautifully designed spaces, right? And as we all sort of do this work from home or work remotely thing, increasingly, you're going to see people going to hotels to work. And and we've noticed that, you know, when you look at what's happening at, at brands like the Poly House in West Hollywood, for example, like that, that, that property gets a ton of local traffic and people just kind of hanging out in the lobby, working, socializing, having a tea, having a Diet Coke, and then you, you could sit there for hours. So I do think there's, but I do think when you, if you're choosing Using to just be in this environment, you, you kind of have to order something, right? No one wants to just like have somebody just sitting there doing nothing. Um, right. But that's 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 what I believe. That's that's kind of the proper etiquette. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the right thing to do. Um, so let's talk about a few specific properties, uh, what they're like and what sort of locals they draw in. So why don't we start with the Beverly Hills Hotel? Yeah, so I love this this property. I stayed there years ago. You know, it's um it's it's a property that I think you know, really captures the old school, you know, glamorous vibe of Beverly Hills. And you've got, you know, one of the the restaurants there is called the Fountain Coffee Room. And it's like this, this retro themed diner. And it's just a place where literally on a Sunday, you're going to see or on the weekend, you're going to see people going there and having breakfast or lunch. And it's definitely not just for tourists. And then of course, there's the Polo Lounge, which was kind of the place for, for power lunches for years. And 
My right. husband and I stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel actually one New Year's Eve a few years back. And we walked in and I'm like, oh, there's Mary-Kate Olsen. Oh, there she is hanging out. <laughs> oh, there's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, so it's like that kind of a place, which is why it's so special. And yeah, it's an icon. And, and it's a kind of place that you can kind of insert yourself into that that whole scene, right? Without actually living there. Just you can go visit the hotel. Yeah. You know, even if you're not staying there, you can go, let's go have a meal or let's go have a drink at, at that hotel. And maybe we'll, you know, experience a little Hollywood magic. That's it. That's it. It's all about <laughs> that Hollywood magic. <laughs> what about the Hotel Bel Air? I heard it's really worth going there for brunch. It is. And what I think is, so the Wolfgang Puck restaurant there is the place. So my husband and I were there, ooh, three years ago for dinner with our son and we saw Geraldo Rivera. There he was with his entire family. And it was like, it was a total scene. So the Bel Air, it's just, it's tucked away amongst these canyons and it has this in in, in the middle of the neighborhood of the region of Bel Air, but they've got these amazing um, gardens and they're famous for their swans. Then you see them when you walk into the hotel and it's very hushed. It's very discreet. You know, Bel Air is one of the most exclusive areas of Los Angeles. And so the clientele, you know, it, it kind of feels like feels like a little chic club in a way, not exclusionary in any way because it's a hotel and obviously everybody is welcome. But it just has a it just has a little bit of hushed glamour to it, if that makes any sense. <laughs> very, very, very subtle, but very also very posh. Subtle glamour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the Sunset Tower Hotel. It sounds like the the tower bar there is a great spot to get a bite and maybe even spot a celebrity. Yeah, that's so that's an Art Deco landmark, the, you know, from Hotelier Jeff Klein. He's reinvented it. And it really, they're so strict about their, you know, privacy, no phones, no, um, you know, that when celebrities go to the, the tower bar, like you are not going to have your privacy be invaded at all. And I think that that's really special. And I think, you know, you have to understand that, you know, for people who live in the spotlight, you know, they're normal people too, and they just want to go and have a cocktail or just have you right. know, a glass of wine and not be bothered. And so I think what what Jeff did and why that hotel is so special is they were so strict about, you know, people not bothering celebrities. And in, in so doing, he got this cult following. And what's what's really amazing about it now is that, you know, it continues to be that way. And they recently did a renovation. And I think what's What's really beautiful about this property is that it continues to evolve, continues to tweak the design, but it's still not, you know, it still holds true to that sort of like private, discreet, um, you know, very, very sophisticated tone. It sounds really nice. Do, do you have any any final pro tips you want to share in terms of accessing luxury hotels of Los Angeles? I think the thing that people should should realize in particular what's amazing about LA is there's no dress code, right? So it's like people dress very casual. They dress, you know, it's different than New York. It's it's different than other places. It's different than Paris. It's definitely different than Rome where I feel like every, if you walk into a luxury hotel, you really have to be dressed to the nines. And LA is so casual <laughs> and that's why it's kind of great. It's like, you know, you could go into the Sunset Tower or the Hotel Bel Air or the Four Seasons Beverly Wilshire, and you could be in jeans and a t-shirt and no one's really going to bat an eye. And I think that that's <laughs> the the beauty of it, right? It's it's welcoming. And also the, it's sort of like the ultimate equalizer, right? Like you could be a billionaire wearing like a ratty t-shirt and jeans and then <laughs> that's, and people are used to that. And so there's right. no sort of pretense or artifice behind it. And that's what I think makes LA so special. So when when you're there and you're on vacation and you're visiting 
you you sort of walk in and you're so excited because oh my gosh there could be a celebrity around the corner but i think there's a there's a beauty in the fact that that everybody who works at these hotels is, are so used to the informal nature of the city that, that it's kind of it's like it's just more inclusive it's more welcoming it is and it, it's just it's like you you do you and it's okay you do you yep yep <laughs> that's a great way to put it <laughs> all right well thank you so much for joining us on california now jackie thank you Jackie Gifford is the editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure. She's on Twitter and Instagram at Jackie Giff. And if you're listening to this podcast, you really ought to follow her. Uh, we'll have all the links to the places we discussed today on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Our next guest has always loved to travel, but was told that would change when she had her first kid. Well, now a mother of two, she's shown that does not have to be the case. Monet Hambrick runs the family travel blog, The Traveling Child. She writes for Essence.com and is a children's book author, too. She recently took her daughters on a family learning adventure that explored some sites in and around San Francisco. Welcome to California Now, Monet. Thank you so much for having me. So to start us out, tell us about the idea behind The Traveling Child. Your motto is, if kids live there, kids can visit, right? Yes, it is. Um, So I started The Traveling Child about three years ago, and I just loved to travel when I was growing up, Um, traveled throughout high school, college, before having kids, and... Then when I had when I got pregnant with my daughter, most people always said before they even said congratulations was, you know, you're not going to be able to travel anymore. And I was just like, you don't know me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with the nudge of a friend, um, I started the traveling child and I just wanted it to be a place that parents could see that or even people that were thinking about having kids could see that life doesn't end once you have children. You don't have to do all your travels before you have kids and really just be able to help people with providing them tips, you know, that my husband and I learned along the way with traveling with our two kids and providing them with the itineraries from our trips. That way they don't have to take as much time in doing the back-end research and being able to have a family-friendly, you know, itinerary for all the places that they're interested in seeing. That's really great. And, and you actually started traveling yourself as an infant, right? Yes, I did. I'm a first-generation American um, from Jamaica. So when I was probably about three months, I took my first trip to Jamaica and then continued to travel with my parents. I was lucky enough that they took me places like Paris and England, and then I studied abroad when I was in college. <laughs> That's great. And now you're continuing the tradition with your own family. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. So, so you recently traveled to the San Francisco Bay Area with your with your two daughters, ages three and five. What prompted this trip? It's something that's really special to me because I used to live in California and in the Bay Area specifically before having kids. Um, and this was my first time visiting the Bay Area since moving away six years ago. Um, and it was just an opportunity for me to be able to explore a place that I used to live in a new light with my kids and being able to have new memories of that special place with them. Well, I'd really love for you to take us on a kind of virtual tour of some of the top stops throughout your trip. You started in San Jose, right? Uh, What were some of your favorite places there? So in San Jose, definitely the Tech Interactive Museum was hands down both me and the girls' favorite part um, of our time in San Jose. That museum is just 
amazing. And I think especially for me to bring my two young daughters, uh, they were able to build a robot while they were there, which was super amazing. And not only were they able to build a robot that moved and it had lights and it had all these functions, but it was also incorporated in something that I think is important as travelers and their robot was made to clean the ocean floor. So not only did they get the aspect of knowing, hey, like, you know, science and math is important for young girls and anyone can do it, but also being able to do it for something that was such a good cause and to be able to see them work together to build that and figuring out, you know, which pieces go where and how to decorate it and how to make it functional was really fun. And, you know, you you think about something like that and I feel like a lot of people will think, oh, I mean, a three and five-year-old. And it's like, these are the experiences that show my kids that there are no limitations on what they can do. And can that robot really go in the ocean right now and pick up trash? No, but they were able to build this blueprint and for them, you couldn't tell them that it wouldn't work in the ocean right now. There's also the Children's Discovery Museum of San Jose. Did you check that out? Yes, we did. So we went there after we went to the Tech Interactive Museum after we had lunch. Um, and that was a really co- cool place. They really enjoyed um, dressing up. That's something that they love to do. So they have an actual like fire truck there and they have all the fire fireman gear so the jackets and the hats and they can go inside and they can drive it and take pictures Um, so they really enjoy that and both of them are in love with arts and crafts so they have an arts and crafts room where they can get down and dirty with painting whether it's with paintbrushes or with their fingers or whatever the case may be and create beautiful artwork leave it there to dry while we went and explored the rest of the museum so that was definitely the two highlights um, there. Did you spend any time on Santana Row? You know, that's a kind of like a shopping area, theaters, restaurants, like a really cool kind of downtown type vibe. Yes. So we actually stayed at a hotel on Santana Row. So it overlooked um, the shopping area there um, right next to the Zumu restaurant. So we got in pretty late coming from the East Coast. Um, So we had dinner there, but we were able to walk around for a little bit. Unfortunately, we didn't have too much time in the morning, um, but it's a really nice area. And and again, that was something that my husband and I, we would go to quite a bit when we lived there. So it was nice just being able to be there with my daughters and getting that different experience, but that nostalgia at the same time. That sounds excellent. Uh, So where'd you go next? So after that, um, we went to Monterey and then we had dinner on the wharf there, which was really nice. Um, Just be able to walk around. The kids were just excited to see all the lights and the candy shops there because there are tons of candy (laughs) and um, chocolate shops. So that was definitely their favorite part. Um, (laughs) And then in the morning, we headed to the aquarium, which of course is like one of the main highlights of Monterey. And we spent quite a few (laughs) hours in there. Uh, They have a an area dedicated specifically to like young kids. So a lot of hands-on stuff. Um, there's touch tanks. So they're able to, you know, touch the stingrays and see all the starfish in there. And just really see all the big tanks with all the schools of fish and seeing how they swim together and just being able to get their hands wet and, and really down and dirty with that. We were also able to see the penguins get fed and, and learn a little bit about them. So, My favorite part is always the jellyfish. Like I could just sit in the jellyfish area and just watch the jellyfish, you know, go up and down all day long. Um, So that was my favorite part. But that interactive area for the kids was definitely a highlight for them. 
Oh, yeah. How great. And it's such a world-class place to bring kids who, you know, may already have an interest in, you know, sea life. But even those who don't, I mean, I think they come away with it just kind of astonished at what is out there in the world. Yes, exactly. Because they're seeing so many things that, I mean, when we actually walked up to the kids' area, the first thing that that is there is a fish tank filled with Nemo's and Dory's. And obviously that's not their real name, but you know, every kid is <laughs> Nemo and Dory. Right. So, and they were like, Oh my God, mommy, mommy, Nemo, look at all the Nemo's, look at all the Nemo's. And they're like so excited. Like they're just like enthralled by this. Um, and I caught that on video, which was like literally just the cutest thing. And like their excitement of just like, Oh my God, I'm seeing like Nemo and Dory come off the screen and right in front of my face. So that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so amazing. Was there anything else while you were down around Monterey that really stood out? Yeah, so um, after we had lunch, there's a little area there um, that's like a beach, so there's sand there. It does depend on the tide, so we were lucky the tide was low, so there's a lot of sand to play um, with. And of course, traveling with kids and getting geared up to take a a two-and-a-half-hour drive to San Francisco, burning off some energy um, is a great mm. idea. So <laughs> the kids had lots of fun <laughs> playing in the sand and looking at seashells and just seeing the ocean. They're total beach kids. So while the water is a little bit too cold to go into, they still had so much fun just playing in the sand and being able to run around. So then you headed up to San Francisco. Uh, what was great about that part of the trip? Yeah, so San Francisco, we um, mainly hung out um, in the Pier 39 area. So just being able to just be around all the shops there, they have like a magic show and a carousel. There's also an aquarium there as well. Um, one of the highlights for us was going on the Bay Cruise. So it takes you around the bay. You go by Alcatraz, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, we were able to see some uh, sea otters, you know, going up and down into the water. So that was like a highlight for the kids because they're like, oh my God, look at this. And then at <laughs> Pier 39, 100% just people watching, which I guess it's really more animal watching. Animal watching the sea lions is like always mm. the best thing to do. And um, one thing that we did there in the afternoon, we did leave that area and we went to the California Academy of Sciences Museum and they have this um, like rainforest there which it's all enclosed, so it's like super humid in there. It actually feels like a rainforest, but there are butterflies flying all around, different types of birds, different types of frogs, and all these cool animals that you only find in the rainforest. And you like you can walk all the way up to the top so you see it from different heights and all the different animals depending on like you know where on trees they hang out and build their nest. Um, so that was a really cool experience as well. That's amazing. You kind of went from like the Monterey Aquarium underwater to the beach where there are sea lions to a tropical rainforest uh, in San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. So where did you stay when you were in San Francisco? At Hotel Zephyr. It's like a super like chic, modern hotel. Um, it's literally less than five minute walk over to Pier 39, which is great um, <laughs> for for taking, especially if you don't have a car while you're there. It's it's really nice because it's right there. Um, but it's super cool. They have a game room that has like Jenga and pool tables and um, the one, what's the one that? Ping pong, ping pong table. And then they have this really cool outdoor seating area that's huge. There's three different a fire pit. There's a huge Connect Four board. They even have a little like um, 
Airstreamer out there that sells like coffee. So actually a really nice place was not expecting that. Um, So that was a, a really nice surprise. So before we wrap up, let's talk some travel tips. What are some ways you keep the youngsters entertained and occupied in the car? Yeah, so definitely always having one snacks. Snacks are the most important things with children, no matter if you're in the car, on the plane, right. walking down the street. It doesn't matter if they just <laughs> ate five minutes ago. They need snacks. <laughs> I swear, snacks cure everything. Um, <laughs> so that's something that I always have. And then in the car, like just having like a little container that you can put, especially since I have two kids. Um, so like putting it in the middle where they can like grab them as they need, because especially with me, I my husband couldn't come on the trip. So I was by myself. Like, I can't be on the highway digging through a bag, trying to open things, give them. So, like, having it someplace that's easily accessible for them. Um, And then just having the things that you know they enjoy. So, whether that's, you know, coloring books, um, audiobooks are great for kids, like, downloading apps that, like, read books to them. Um, For my kids, especially because they're three and five. Well, my five-year-old can read, so she can read her own books. But for the three-year-old, like, um, having some some, uh, audiobook that it can be read to her, but still has, like, the pictures and all the things that she gets excited about we do have these little they have these like these little trays activity trays that you can actually get that um, go on top of the car seat um, and doesn't cause any issues with like crash testing or anything like that but it's something where they can press on to write or play games so those are cool on really long road trips um, we bring that type of stuff with us but yeah just really having things that you know that they enjoy downloading music or having you know a tablet for them where they can listen to like they always listen to the kids bop station on pandora um and if you don't want to listen to their disney music or their kids bop the entire way like having headphones for them is key so they can listen to their music you can listen to what you want to listen to whenever you need a break so those are a lot of things um that that we do just to prepare them and i will say like go to always have a lollipop in my bag because they fix tantrums and sometimes you just have to do what you have to do because they're still kids, you know? <laughs> so I've, I've definitely pulled out, um, I've definitely pulled out a lollipop before and it solves all problems. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just got to do, I mean, I love that. You just got to do what you got to do. Okay. Just, I mean, you do. Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> just, you get to that point sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what other advice uh, would you want to share with parents thinking about this kind of learning adventure in California? I would say just go. I mean, it, it was so much fun. I, I do wish we had like a, an extra day. That would have been really nice. Um, but there are so many cool things. And especially getting out of, you know, San Francisco, like everyone, of course, wants to go to San Francisco, loves it. But I mean, there are so many amazing places in, you know, in the close vicinity, like San Jose and that tech interactive museum that you won't get that when you're in San Francisco. So just really encouraging um, people to explore the surrounding areas as well, because there's a lot of of good stuff out there. Well, Manet, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you so much for having me. Monet Hambrick runs the family travel blog, The Traveling Child, which you can find online at thetravelingchild.co. She's also on Instagram at The Traveling Child, and you can find her work on Amazon.com. We'll have links to all the places we discussed on today's episode on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now.
Today, we're going to head north, way north, to the tiny town of McLeod. It's located on the southern slope of Mount Shasta in Siskiyou County within the Shasta Cascade region of California. It's a favorite haunt of our next guest, author and journalist Anne-Marie Brown. We'll find out why she loves this part of the world so much. Welcome back to the podcast, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Soterius. Thanks for having me. So why are you drawn to McLeod? Is it the location? You know, to understand McLeod, you have to think about Mount Shasta, uh, which is visible from every street in town. And, you know, Mount Shasta is gigantic. It's a huge volcanic cone. It's over 14,000 feet in elevation. And it is such a major feature of the landscape. It's visible for 100 miles around. Incredibly beautiful. And it really, I think, is not just the backdrop for McLeod, but it really is the heart and soul of McLeod. So, so how do you get to, to McLeod? Is, uh, is Sacramento the nearest big city, or, or how would one get there? Yeah, I would say Sacramento or Redding, depending on your definition of a big city. But if I flew into Sacramento, I'd still have about a three-hour drive to the north. It's right off Interstate 5, which is, of course, the main corridor going up and down California. Uh, it's only about 15 minutes off of the 5, but it's very far north. So flying to Sacramento, you drive north. If you were able to fly a small commuter airline into Redding, you'd still have another, another hour to go. Wow. So so what's the backstory uh, on McLeod? Was it a mining town? Actually, McLeod was a lumber town, and it was a lumber town up until pretty recently. Once the uh, McLeod River Company moved in and, and started running the mills there, uh, that was about late 1800s, 1897 or so, the mills kept running. The last mill in town just closed in 2002. So, so you know, this is a, a lumber town that's been a lumber town for a long time. In fact, it was a company town. They used to call the McLeod River Lumber Company Mother McLeod because everybody that lived in McLeod worked for the lumber company. The lumber company owned their homes. The lumber company heated their homes. Electricity was supplied by the mill. It was all about the lumber company. And not anymore. You know, now now it's more about tourism and outdoor recreation. But for a long time, it was about it was about lumber. So, you know, on a, on a past episode, we learned that Mount Shasta draws a lot of spiritually minded travelers uh, to it. Is that part of the crowd that you'll find in McLeod? You will find a little bit of that in McLeod for sure. There are a lot of people who believe that Mount Shasta, this incredible hulking volcanic cone, has some kind of spiritual powers and that there's a real center there amid all the glistening ice and the snow, that that there's some special powers there. So definitely you'll find a few crystal shops and things like that in nearby Mount Shasta City. McLeod itself is much smaller. So McLeod population, 1,000 people at the most. Um, there's really only a few businesses there, and all of them are housed in old logging company uh, buildings, which is kind of neat. So even though the mill closed down, these wonderful old historic buildings are still there. And they've been turned into great hotels, restaurants, places that you'd want to visit. So, so who would be the person who is going to McLeod? Is it hikers and backpackers, people who are wanting to do outdoor activities? You know, I think it's a, a really a good mix in McLeod because uh, McLeod is situated right on what we call the Volcanic Legacy Scenic Byway. That's Highway 89, again, just off of Interstate 5. So people who are touring, say, visiting uh, Lassen Volcanic National Park or any of the other volcanic sites 
by car might stop in McLeod because it's a logical place to spend the night. Um, there are a number of waterfalls near McLeod that are very, very easy walks and drives to get to. So you could be just a very casual tourist, not even really into the outdoors, and you might choose McLeod as your overnight stop. Um, but yes, you will also find plenty of people who are serious about hiking, plenty of people who are serious about fly fishing as well. Uh, the McLeod River is practically in town. Uh, the, the stretch near McLeod is owned by the Nature Conservancy. It's catch and release fishing only. Um, they only allow 10 anglers at a time. So you get a reservation and you go fish there. And it's a very special place with some very big trout. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons you might show up there. In the wintertime, you might go to ski. Mount Shasta has a ski park, and um, it's a wonderful old-school-style place to ski without the crowds that you'll find, you know, at a lot of other bigger resorts. So tell us about some of the must-see attractions in McLeod. What are, say, two or three things that a first-time visitor has to experience? I think my first stop would probably be uh, the McLeod Mercantile, which uh, is, again, 1897. It was built as the company store. It was the lumber store that served all the workers who lived in town. But now it's been completely renovated. It houses a hotel, a couple of restaurants, and, and a mercantile. It's kind of a nod to history, right? It has its own mercantile that sells kind of old-timey candy and kitchen gifts and what have you. But it's a wonderful place to spend the night, king beds, feather comforters, etc. You know, big high ceilings. It's, it's just wonderful historic, but also very modern at the same time because it's been renovated. A lot of nice things to do there, just to hang out and, and read a book by the fireplace is really kind of a treasure there. And the owners are happy to set you up with guides to go for hikes or to go fishing or or even to go do some backcountry skiing. So that's kind of become like the, the centerpiece in town, I think, for a lot of visitors. But there's also a couple other great spots. Um, the McLeod Hotel, which is is almost as old as a 1916 hotel, um, is one of those beautiful old bed and breakfasts where they still have tea service and has 16 really lavish rooms. Another fantastic place to stay and really get a feeling for the old style of what McLeod used to be like. And, you know, I, I think that's part of McLeod's charm is that it's really kept close to its heritage and uh, not just the beautiful buildings still stand, but also just the ambiance around town is that, hey, this is still a small town and people look out for each other and, and we care about uh, the natural beauty around us. So uh, there, there's just a really nice laid back vibe in McLeod and a great place to just go for a quiet weekend. That sounds it. Uh, are there any lesser known places to go or things that you'd recommend to do there? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I don't know if it's lesser known or not, but a must, an absolute must, is to go see the waterfalls on the McLeod River. So McLeod Falls, there are three McLeod Falls, actually. Um, Middle McLeod is the largest of the three, but they're all accessible via a very easy trail. Um, you can actually drive to the top of all three of them and then just hike a short distance down to them, or you can hike to just one, drive to just one of them and then hike a three-mile trail that connects them. So I think if you're staying in McLeod, that's a must, is, is go see McLeod Falls, I'll try to see all three of the different cataracts. They're all completely different. And I think that's a really good way to get a taste of for how, how beautiful this region is. And then the other thing is you have to take a drive 
up on Mount Shasta. You know, a road goes uh, up not to the summit, but close. And you get, you get, you know, relatively close where you can see the summit quite clearly. And driving up that mountain gives you a sense of just how majestic it is. You know, the it, it's it's the home of three rivers, the McLeod, the Sacramento, and the Pitt all start on Mount Shasta. So it's a land of crystal clear water, you know, deep, dense forests, and so much beauty. So just driving up there is a treat, even if you never set foot on a trail. How is McLeod on the dining front? I mean, where where would you go for, say, a robust breakfast or a, or a nice dinner? <laughs> well, both of the hotels I mentioned have really lovely restaurants. So the McLeod Hotel is really known for fine dining dinner experiences at its Sage restaurant. You know, if you want a really nice cut of meat or a special dinner, that's the place to go. Um, McLeod Mercantile has two restaurants. Um, the White Mountain Cafe is one, and that's a great place for breakfast or lunch. And it also has the McLeod Meat Market and Tavern, which is, which is the burger spot for sure. Um, there's a brewery in town, like like most towns in California, of course. <laughs> McLeod has a brewery. Uh, it's called Siskiyo Brewworks, and, and that's always a fun stop for pizza and beer. And then I'll confess, my favorite is probably Floyd's Frosty. Because, you know, every now and then you just you, you just want to have a root beer freeze, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm guessing that, like, the time of year you go is probably a big consideration when traveling to this part of the state. When would you say is the best time to go? Mm, that's a tough question because it depends on what you like. I mean, if you're a skier, winter is the best time to go. I'm a big fan of, of fall because I love to go see autumn colors, and McLeod's a good spot to do that. There's a lot of places around town and just around the community where you can go see nice autumn colors. Really, the any time of year, I would say, is a good time to visit, and you just have to ask yourself, what do you want to do? Do you want to hike? Then go in the summertime. Do you want to take photographs? Then maybe fall or spring. And, or do you want to ski? Maybe wintertime. Hmm, that makes sense. Uh, you know, we've seen a, bit, a huge uptick in road tripping across California. Would you say McLeod is a worthy stop for this sort of travel? Are there good drives in the area? Yeah, absolutely. You know, even though McLeod is in the far north part of California, it's still near a lot of other places where you might want to go on a road trip. I think, you know, when I think of road trips, I, I try to always hit small towns because that's the most interesting part of road trips, right? Yeah. Um, so Dunsmuir. Dunsmuir is a lovely uh, mountain town just about 45 minutes south of McLeod. So that might be part of your road trip is to hit Dunsmuir and then hit McLeod and then maybe hit the next town up would be Weed um, if you're heading north. Uh, you could also go to Lassen Volcanic National Park as part of your road trip. That's only about an hour's drive, hour and a half drive. MacArthur Bernie Falls State Park is about an hour's drive. A lot of people travel Highway 89 as a road trip. That's a pretty common choice. And again, that's called the Volcanic Legacy Scenic Byway. Um, but that makes a wonderful trip throughout Northern California if you just want to see volcanic cones, beautiful waterfalls, rivers, creeks, lakes, a lot of water, um, and a lot of California's really fascinating volcanic features. Well, it sounds like, like McLeod is a really great place to incorporate into like a visit to Mount Shasta, which is just a must-see in California. So I, I, I think I've officially added another California destination to my to-do list. Oh, <laughs> thank yay. you so much uh, for telling us about McLeod. Yeah, Anne-Marie, thank you. Thank you. Anne-Marie Brown is an accomplished author and journalist and a regular guest of this podcast. You can find information about her many books and articles at her website, annemariebrown.com. 
And if you want more details about McLeod or any of the places we discussed today, head on over to our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. And you can learn more about California and plan your next visit at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast.